today we come to the last in our series of urgent words for urgent times. I simply have to remind you, though, that this will not be the end of urgent words or the end of urgent times. Originally, when I began this, I was simply going to make 1 Corinthians 16 a message about generosity, and it certainly is, but it's a message about so much more. It reminds us how you go on living in turbulent times. Because even though life becomes difficult and hard, we have to keep going. And Paul gives us a word that blesses us and helps us in living in turbulent times. I hope that you'll look with me to 1 Corinthians 16 to hear God's word to each of us. We are looking at 1 Corinthians 16, and uh, I want to remind you that anything you say first matters because you've put it in the first of priority. And anything you say last also matters. And what Paul is doing, this is not his last word to the church at Corinth, but it's the, as far as he knows, it's last, his last word. And he is telling the people of Corinth how you live, how you live in good times, how you live in difficult times. So please follow along to the words of the Apostle Paul. Now about the collection for the saints. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has opportunity. Verse 13 and 14 are just strategic, powerful, practical words 
to the church for all time. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Archaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Search such men deserve recognition. You heard me say a moment ago, I, I planned for this to be the last sermon in the Urgent Word series, and I was going to talk about the urgency of being generous and the urgency of generosity. And then Monday morning hit, and I was on my way to Lafayette to a pastor's conference and I noticed, I was leaving somewhere in the 7 o'clock range, and I was noticed that the causeway had been shut down. And then I got on the interstate, and I noticed that there was a pileup at Manshack, and it had been closed down. And then throughout the morning, the awful news, seven people killed, 160-something cars or thereabouts, a, an awful number piled up. And I knew I would know somebody involved in that. But I just didn't know who it might be or who it would be. And then Wednesday came and I read the headline that said that what is going on in the world now is the most dangerous time in the past 78 years. And if you look at 78 years, you realize that that was the end of World War II. And you've heard all these awful predictions and these awful and scary words about what is happening in the world. Two, two wars going on and Russia and China and the United States and all of these things that are involved in this. And by that time, I'd already decided... I want to talk about how you are faithful in turbulent times. And then the awful weekend of the shootings in Maine. So that was the first reason for pivoting on the sermon. The second one was simply looking at the Word of God. This is what Paul is saying. This is how you live. All of life is going to be turbulent. There are always going to be difficulties. And by the way, you talk about the accidents, you talk about the wars, you talk about the shootings, and I haven't said a word about the things that are going on in your life that make it turbulent times. How can we be faithful in turbulent times? Paul gives us 
his word. Paul gives us the word of God. Paul gives us his last words to the church at Corinth. Here is how you are to live day by day, week by week, month by month. Here's the way you're to live for God. Here's the way you're to put him first. Here's how you are to live. So five things. Here's the way I like to develop a sermon. I I like to let the text tell me what I'm going to say instead of my deciding what I'm going to say and find a text to support it. It's a temptation to always, I want to do what I want to say and let me find scripture to back it up. But I think preaching should be, let me go to the scripture and let the scripture tell me how to live. And so I think you will see from this passage of scripture these five things that are very evident here. How are we to live? How we're to live in uncertain times when we don't know what is going to happen in the future and we don't know what's going to happen next. How do we live? Well, Paul says to live generously. Care for other people. Think about others. Work together. Notice the first thing that he says, if you're not familiar with the scripture, what do you mean about the collection for the saints? Paul determined that he was going to take a collection from the Gentile churches in Galatia, in Macedonia, in Achaia, those were all Roman provinces in what we now know as Turkey and Greece, he was going to take a collection from the Gentile Christians and take it to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And that collection had two motives. Uh, Maybe it had a bunch more than that. One of them would be the direction of God. But I want to give you two very human motives. Number one, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were struggling. They were under persecution. The worst kind, the most subtle persecution is employment persecution. You know, I I just don't have a job for you anymore. You don't have to say it's because you became a Christian and a follower after Christ. I just don't have a job for you anymore. And that seems to have been what happened in Jerusalem over and over. So the believers in Jerusalem were poor and they had great needs. And Paul wanted to meet those needs. He knew what it was like to be persecuted and to struggle. And so he wanted to meet those needs. But there was a second motivation that he had, and it is a powerful, beautiful motivation. He knew that there was friction between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians because the Jews had been the people of God, had been elect of God, had been chosen of God. They had the law. They had the tabernacle. They had the temple They had the teaching of God. They had the word of the prophets. What an amazing thing had happened. And because of that, of all the people in the ancient world that you know, especially in the Roman world, of all the people you know, there was only one people who had one and only one God. That was the Jews. There was only one people who talked about morality, and that was the Jews. The Gentiles had come from a culture of immorality, 
every perversion you can think of in this world in which we live, they, they were a part of that. And they had gods everywhere. So you can see there'd be some natural divisions. And on top of that, the Jews wanted to say, in order to become a Christian, you got to become a Jew first. And Paul wanted to heal that. He wanted to bring people together. So here's what I would say to you. Every time you think about those things that pull people apart, you try to find a reason to put them together because that's the Word of God and that's the plan of God. So Paul was taking a collection for the saints because he wanted them to care for other people. He wanted them to live generously. That's what God wants for you and me, that we live with a generous heart, with a concern for other people, that we pray for one another and we encourage one another and we lift up one another and we care for the needs of each other to do the things of God. We're to live generously. There's a second thing that he emphasizes. He emphasizes worship. And he says that, we, that in our worship, there's to be concern for other people. Sometimes we worship and we just think about ourselves. I would say that that is not the plan of God when all we think about are ourselves. God wants us to think about the people we see and we know and we understand. And God wants us to care for them and to worship fervently and let it be a part of what God wants to do in our lives. So Paul tells us it's telling, very telling about worship. It's verse 2, on the first day of every week. Remember, the writer of Hebrews said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but rather let it be something that is that is." deliberate let it be something that's habitual let it be something that is a part of your life here's what i would say what god wants you to do about worship is put it first and i know and you know the temptation it is to put it last why did we go to church today? Well, we didn't have anything else going on. That's putting it last. Why did we go to church today? Because we love God, and he is the, he is the Lord of our lives, and he calls us to worship him. I, I would like for you to change your attitude about church and worship. And let's, let's take what's upside down and let's put it right side up. And let's make church and worship the first thing and then let's make everything else fit around it. Why? Because it makes the pastor feel good? Well, that, that, I would be okay if you're with that. But that's not the reason. The reason is because it would make God feel good. The reason is because it would be obedient unto him. 
So Paul says on the first day of every week, give an offering. And then when I come, we don't have to do anything. I don't have to ask you to do it. No, no preacher, Paul, Waylon, anybody wants to ever ask for an offering. And yet, if we're going to do the things of God, we, got we have to ask for an offering. So Paul asked for it, but when he says, if you will do it this way week by week, when the time comes, I don't have to ask you for it. We don't have to collect it. All we have to do is to move on with it. But this tells us something very powerful about worship. By the way, you worship, I worship, we worship, the Christian church worships on Sunday, the Lord's Day, not on the Sabbath, which is the sixth. We worship on the first day of the week, not the seventh day of the week. And of course, that was a big change in Judaism. But Paul tells us that it was a change and it came from the very first. And that was that from the beginning, all you got to do is look at Acts, look at the day of Pentecost, look at those times and you find believers worshiping. And what were they doing? They were celebrating the resurrection. They weren't worshiping on Sunday because it was their day off. No, it was a work day. And they assembled either early in the morning or late at night to worship God on the first day of the week. And that was from the very beginning. By the way, Corinthians was written about A.D. 55. Jesus was crucified about A.D. 30. So within 25 years, within 25 years, it was evident, expected, but you can go back to Acts and say from the very beginning, they worshiped on the first day of the week. God wants us to worship. There's a third thing that he wants us to do. Good times or bad times, and I would suggest that these ought to be more urgent in difficult times. The third thing he wants us to do is to give generously. He certainly wants us to live generously, which is an attitude of the heart. And he wants us to give generously, which is an act of service that comes from that attitude of the heart. So Paul uh, makes it very clear, verses 3 and 4. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction. And by, by the way, go back to verse 2. I left that part out. Set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income proportionately. God's asking us to give or maybe I should say telling us to give, is always proportional. We see that at the church of Corinth. We've seen from Acts chapter 11 in the Lord's Supper, there were people who were wealthy who were part of the church at Corinth. And we've seen that there were people who were poor at the church in Corinth because they were the slaves who got off late and had almost nothing to eat and nothing to live by, and yet Paul says to the church that all of the church, not just the wealthy, but also the poor, that everyone should give and that it should be proportionate. 
And in a sense, it would have to be proportionate because a, a, a slave could never even approach giving what someone wealthy could give because there would be a cutoff there that would not come close to that. But for God's economy, he always calls on us to give proportionately. And he calls on us to give voluntarily. And he calls on us to give cheerfully. And the cheerful giving is an attitude. It's something you determine to do. I'm going to give this offering. It's probably more than I plan to give, but I'm, I am going to give this offering. And you know what? And I am going to be happy about it. That's on, those are just attitudes. And it is amazing, isn't it, that we apply those kind of attitudes to so many things in life but we don't apply it to obedience to God and giving as he has instructed us to give. So when Paul wrote the next letter to Corinth, he is also, he says, uh, remember about the giving, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. And by the way, that's only farming. You put a lot of seed in the ground, you're going to get a lot of seed up. You put a few seed in the ground, you're going to get a few seed up. You spare generously, you're going to reap generously. Just a, a practice of farming. You, spare so, you, you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. And it works in the spiritual world as well. So he says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. I will give and I will be cheerful about it. And next week when you write your check or give your offering and you're in the family, if you want to look around at your family and say, and smile and say, and I, we will give cheerfully, I think that would be a great little example for all of us. We all need to laugh. We all need to spot a smile. You know what else God says? God is able to bless you abundantly. We forget that. God blesses us in every way. God is able to bless you abundantly. I, I assume Paul is saying, he is answering the unasked question, Paul, how am I going to make it if I give? God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Then Paul in this talks about Christian workers and he wants them to be encouraged. Don't hold Timothy in contempt. When those brothers come to you, receive them well and care for them and let them know that they're doing the work of God. He talks about the family of Stephanus. Hold up those people with esteem because they are working among you and seeking to serve you and to honor God. 
And then the last thing that Paul emphasizes in this giving generously is handle money wisely, carefully, in a godly fashion, and honestly. I'm always amazed. Here's what I call. Paul was the greatest theologian in the history of the church. God gave him half of the books of the New Testament. God, God revealed himself to Paul in a way that you and I have not been revealed to, in a way that you and I have not been spoken to because I have not written any holy scripture. Neither have you. God gave it to godly men, and Paul was one of those men, and half of the New Testament came from him. So he was a great theologian, and he was what you and I would call a deep thinker, and yet he was so practical and so down to earth. And when he told them to take the offering, all of that was practical. And the way it was going to be taken and the way it was going to be cared for is refreshing and enlightening and a blessing to the church. Here's basically what Paul said. I'm not going to have anything to do with the offering. You're going to receive the offering. Your leaders are going to take care of the offering. And then when it goes to Jerusalem, I'm not going to take the offering. I'm not going to touch it. You're going to appoint three men who are going to go from Corinth, and they're going to help take the offering. And, oh, by the way, two men from Thessalonica are going to go, and they're going to take the offering. And, oh, the, by the way, two men from Ephesus are going to go, and all of them together are going to take the offering because those were the three main areas where the offering was given. So they're going to be in charge of it. They are people you know and you trust, and they're going to take the offering. Because the offering had to be taken, no cashier's checks, coins, and it needed to be strong men, young men, to make the trip to take the offering. But it also needed to be that way so that there would be no question in anybody's mind about the offering. If I could just say this to you, all of our pastors know it. We talk about it all the time. The finance team knows about this. We do everything in our power to do everything so that you know that when you give, it is used in the way you intend for it to be used. That's how practical Paul was. And that's the way the church ought to be. That we do everything for God. And that it not break down the doing it for God between your giving and, and the spending of the church. It shouldn't break down. It should all be the same. And we should give generously knowing that this is for God and it matters to him. The fourth thing that you find in this passage of Scripture is about using hard times for good purposes. Everybody has hard times. If you want to know about Paul's hard times, read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It will stick out to you. Paul knew what hard times were. 
Paul wrote to the church at Corinth about A.D. 55. Within 10 years, A.D. 65, Paul had been beheaded for the cause of the gospel, and he knew it was coming. Maybe not exactly when it was going to be or how it was going to be, but he knew he was going to be poured out to the Lord like an offering unto God. Paul knew how to use hard times for good purposes. So when he wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, I'm going to come, but when I come, I don't want to just pass through. I want to stay a while. I want to spend time with you. I want to teach you. I want to guide you. But I'm going to stay at Ephesus until Pentecost. Paul stayed in Ephesus for three years, his longest service in any place and Ephesus now there were plenty of hard places in the Roman Empire to start a church Ephesus would come pretty close to that Ephesus was the place where the temple of Diana was you will also see it called the temple of Artemis there's no good way to talk about all this stuff. It was an abominable place. It was a place of rampant immorality and perversion. It was baked in to the worship of Diana. The temple of Diana was huge. Remember, we always talk about the seven wonders of the world, and then they have seven wonders of the ancient world. The temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And Paul said, I'm going to stay in Ephesus. And I'm going to stay in Ephesus because a wide door of ministry has been opened to me. Now, we, we talk about open doors and closed doors, and we get that from Paul in this passage and also in Acts chapter 16. God opened the door. God closed the door here, and he closed the door here, but he opened this door widely, and Paul says, I'm in Ephesus. Now, if you were there, you would say, I'm in the worst place on the face of the earth. Paul said, I'm on the best, in the best place on the face of the earth. I get to do ministry in a place where the gospel is not known. You talk about the seven churches of Asia in the book of Revelation. Remember what they were? Ephesus was the first one, and the other six probably came from the church at Ephesus when Paul was there, Laodicea and, per, and Pergamum and, and uh, Sardis and all of the others, they came from Ephesus. Paul had a wide door open, and he intended to walk through that door and to be faithful in it. Here's what the, the interesting thing is in verse 19. I hope you'll look at it in your Bible. Because a great door for effective work has opened to me. And then he says the strangest words. Who would say this? And many oppose me. You and I might look at that and say, this is the reason I'm leaving. Because I'm opposed by many people. For Paul, that was the reason for staying. Many opposed me. 
and I'm going to do the effective work that God has given me to do. I want to say to you in your turbulent times, let God take those times and use it for his good purposes. As a member of our congregation said, difficulties are not, God is not the author of difficulties. But he is the one who helps us overcome in the midst of it. Paul knew that God works all things together for good. He didn't mean that everything is good. I I assure you that Paul didn't think it was good when they were beating him with rods. Paul didn't think it was good when they cast him into a dungeon. Paul didn't think it was good when they beheaded him. That's not what that means. And to to think that way is, is to miss the point. Paul knew that he lived for God and that his life was for God and that God was always going to be with him and that God would never leave him and never forsake him and that God was going to use it for a good purpose in turbulent times, in times of persecution, in times of trouble. Let us use these hard times for good purposes for God and his glory, knowing that there is a blessing that comes from that when that happens. By the way, remember the temple of Diana? It doesn't exist anymore. I don't know the history of it. My guess would be that the preaching the gospel shut it down. And I pray that in our community, in our state, and in our country, that the preaching the gospel and the living of the gospel will shut down all of those things that oppose God and would exalt all of those things that honor God and that you and I would get to be a part of that. That's how you live in turbulent times. That's how you are faithful in turbulent times. God worked through me. told you last week I went to a a pastor's conference, some of the largest churches, Baptist churches in our state, and I talked to these people that I've gotten to know through the years, and, and here's a common theme. The common theme is, that there are a lot of people who are coming to faith in Christ in a certain age group. And it's the 16 to 25-year-old age group where it seems there is an openness to the gospel where maybe 10 years ago there wasn't, maybe 30 years ago there wasn't. I'm praying for God to work in that way. And I'm praying if you're 16 to 25 that you would know him. And if you are a believer that you would share with your friends because there's an openness, a desire about the gospel, a desire to know about spiritual things, a powerful word that we would live out our faith And that we would understand why we were created. We were called to be the people of God. 
I pray that they're going to be those of you who are 16 to 25 who say, I, if God would so choose, I will preach the gospel. If God would so choose, I'll be a missionary. If God would so choose, I will work within the ministry of the church for his honor and for his glory. So number five, I just summarized everything. What does God want us to do? He wants us to pray for one another. He wants us to follow godly leaders, and he wants us to stick together. And I always have a goal for the sermon, and the goal today is that you would say, I'm going to live for God in turbulent times. No matter how difficult it becomes, I'm going to stand for God and honor him. If God will be with me, I will be with God, and I will serve him. This is God's calling for all of us, that we would know him and live for him and serve him. I want to ask you to do that today. I want to ask you to pray silently and say to God, God, I want to live for you. I want to ask you to come and pray with a pastor, pray with a counselor, pray here at the front. Maybe you're ready to join this local church. You can do that now. And I so hope you are ready to profess your faith in Christ. And I pray that there will be people from that 16 to 25-year-old age group who today say, I stand with Jesus, and I open my heart and my life unto him. Let's pray together. After I pray, we will stand. The music will begin. It will be time for you to come. Lord Jesus, please speak to our hearts. You told us if you are lifted up that you will draw people to yourself. God, we lift you up in our hearts, in our minds, in our worship, in our songs, in our preaching, we lift you up and we praise you. Please speak now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.